0: Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. When uh, when I was a kid... Uh, I was going to go to the movies with a buddy of mine, and so I asked Dad for some money, and he pulled out, uh, I I don't know exactly the the denominations of these bills, but he gave me enough to get into the movie, and then I had some left. So while I was at the movie, I just took that one leftover bill, and I just kept crumbling it up and and unfolding and crumbling and folding and crumbling and folding. And Then when I got home, Dad wondered if I had any money left. Was there any money that I hadn't spent? I pull out this wad out of my pocket, this bill that I had wadded all up, and uh, gave it to him. And he was very disappointed. And he said, son, if you can't take care of what I have given you, you won't be getting any more money. So this, this idea of stewardship, taking care of what we've been given, is where we're going today. Now, our lesson today can easily be, be misinterpreted. And it has been. And it will be. One church I know of, uh, one time, gave money out to the, they preached on this passage, then gave money to the parishioners, a particular amount of money, I don't know if it was $20 or what it was, to each parishioner there, and then suggested that they do like the good servants in this parable and invest the money and see what kind of return on their investment they could get so that they could give back to the church that investment. Well, you know, a creative person could take $20 and turn it into quite a bit. It could be a good stewardship lesson in the sense that we're making more money get back to the church. But that's really not where this lesson is going. It is about stewardship, but it's much more than this thing of just stewarding our money. Um, Jesus, in in this parable, he's talking about a king. Jesus is this king who entrusts his people with what he treasures, which is the gospel. The thrust of today's lesson is this. What are you doing with the good deposit of the gospel with which you have been entrusted? Are you hoarding it or are you investing it for growth? I, I think it would have been better maybe to wait to the end and, and develop this. I just got to give this to you out front. This is where we're going. This is what the thrust of the message is today. That's what this parable is all about. What are you doing with the good deposit of the gospel with which you have been entrusted? Are you hoarding it or are you investing it for growth? First, we see in this passage that the kingdom was anticipated. There's a, a heightened level that there's this expectation that the kingdom is coming in full in the here and now. Look with me in verse 11. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, Therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom then return. Well, Jesus is taking a well-known topic of his day and using it to teach about himself. Now, some will get it and others won't in this initial hearing as he's teaching. Herod the Great, had a who was a ruler, had a son who inherited part of his kingdom. Archelaus that was, was, was his name. And Archelaus wanted to be called king. Archelaus wasn't satisfied to just be, inherit part of the kingdom that his father had, to be recognized as king. Just as, as an aside, in my Lube Center business, one day we were sitting, standing around, we were waiting for customers, and a guy rolls up who I knew. He was a recognized person to me. And so I greeted him, and I probably knew him by name. Back then I could do that. And uh, he, he came, and he, he had a request. And he and his wife were both doctors. And I think they were Ph.D. doctors, I think. But we just had their names in there. It's it's a lube center business where you go and get your oil change. This is like Jiffy Lube. Sometimes I didn't really care about all the prefixes. We didn't have space for that. We just called you Dave or Joe. Well, he, he asked if we could fix our records so it would say doctor on there. Somebody was, they needed this title. Now, we I'm sure we did whatever the man asked and we went on. But could we ever remember to call that person doctor when they came? I don't know. This young guy is not satisfied to have the kingdom. He wants to be called king. He can't just demand that he be called king because his territory is under Rome. And so he needs to go to Rome and ask Caesar for permission to be called king. So he, he rounds up a great big delegation to go to Rome. But as he goes, a lot of his family members do as well. And some of his family members are speaking out against him. And so he's saying, I want to be called king, and his family members are speaking out against him. And as these 50 or so who were against him, this is according to Josephus, a uh, historian, a Jewish historian, as he is saying that uh, I want to be called king, and these people are coming against him, they were joined by 8,000 more people who were Jews who were at that time living in Rome. And they said, this guy has slaughtered... Uh, as many as 3,000 Jews at Passover and has stuck them in the temple, which desecrates the temple. This is a horrible thing. And he has tortured many others. So with all these people speaking out against Archelaus, Caesar was not willing to grant this title. So Jesus takes this event and starts teaching. And he's teaching, though, not about a want to wannabe king, not about somebody who is so... Uh, because of their ego, they're so they're so uh, high on themselves that they have to be called king. But he's actually teaching about himself. It's Jesus Himself who has gone to a far country to receive a people and receive a kingdom. Now, this setting—it's immediately after uh, Zacchaeus and Jesus had their conversation. And Jesus went to his house, and this—the kingdom was expected. Uh, to come just any time at this point and we are coming to the end of the travel narratives in Luke so that means we're headed we've been heading toward Jerusalem and the the text says that they were near they were about 17 miles away it's supposed at this point when this is taking place and so the end is drawing near and Jesus knows this and so he needs to give his people some information about the kingdom about his rejection and about his return. So the next thing we see is that the king to be delegates responsibility. Look with me in verse thirteen. It says, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. He said to them, "Engage in business until I come." So this man who's going to be called king called ten of his servants, gave them each one mena. and a mina was the equivalent to about three months' wages for a laborer and he gave each the same amount. Now some confuse this parable with that of the talents, which that's a parable about abilities and giftedness. And to that he gives differing amounts to each one in the parable. To each of us he gives different and diff- different and differing amounts of ability. Luke is not using the word that we translate as talent. He is using mena, which means a deposit. It's a deposit that is given to every Christian. What is that deposit that's to, given to every believer? It's the gospel. This is what we are to steward. Every follower of Jesus is a steward of the gospel. Each of us has received this deposit of, a, of the gospel. If, we are, if, we are a, if, if our faith is in Jesus, if we recognize our own sin... If we recognize that he is the one who has taken our sin and given us his righteousness, then we have received this deposit of the gospel. Each one of us. So it doesn't matter who we are, we have all received the same. So, you know, the the names of Bert, Ryan, Sarah, Patty, you all have received the same deposit. Some of the greats, St. Augustine, Calvin, Luther, Billy Graham, all those people, we have received the same amount we received the same deposit of the gospel not only have we received that same amount and the same of the deposit of the gospel but we also have all received the same command which is engage in business until i come and again he's not he's not describing to, at the end of our service i'm not going to give you the 20 dollars and tell you to create a business and see how much money you can make to get back to the church what he's talking about this engaging in business we also know it as the great commission to end all the world preaching the good news and making disciples that's the that's the engaging in business that's the business we are to engage in it's making disciples we are to invest wisely in order to increase the yield of the good news so it's not a matter of being gifted it's not a matter of being talented it's not a matter of our differing gifts it's a ba- it's a matter of investment so we invest by making disciples, which we are all and each called to do. We as a church are to make disciples, yes. But we each individually are to make disciples. This is a command of the Lord. This is not a suggestion. It's not sign up if you want. It's not a, it's, it's not like we do around church where if you want to serve in this place, sign up. We have been all given this command. Uh, Some some of you and I have gone through a discipleship book, and I think these numbers are interesting. If we we were to take an evangelist, if an evangelist were to win a person to Christ every day, so for 365 days a year, he wins each day one, so at the end of a year, he has 365. At the end of 16 years, he would have 5,840 converts to Christianity. But if a discipler were to disciple one person per year, if he, if in one year he disciples one person, at the end of that year, each of those two disciple one person. At the end of that same time period, sixteen years, they uh, the amount of people reached, and I dare say they will have known more and they will have deeper faith because they have been discipled and they weren't just merely converts. Would be the number would be like sixty five thousand. So the difference between discipling and the evangelist, sixty five thousand versus five thousand eight hundred forty. I was going to tell you that 65,000 was about the same as Wood County's population, and that's just not right. I I looked, before I uh, came in today, I had to wait for the other service to get out, so I looked it up. We've got about 84,000 at this point in Wood County. But to give you a comparison, so what if if we were to disciple, and you know, Lord uh, knows that we wouldn't be the only ones doing this, but that means that by the time we're 16 years past, we could reach the majority of our county just from the beginnings of one. That gives me great hope. This is this is the kind of investment we are to be a part of. How is it that you are investing in the gospel? Now, not all were for Archelaus as he went, as I told you. But not all are for Jesus either. They never have been, and they never will be. Verse 14 says, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So Jesus is simply rejected by many. And as they head into Jerusalem, this reality is going to hit big by the end of the week after they appear. Jesus delegates to his people the good news and his enemies rise up and say, we do not want this man to reign over us. And the Bible says that we are all enemies of God until he renews us by his spirit to actually turn our hearts from a hatred of him Love him. We were all opposed to his kingship. And when I when I say those words, we may be thinking of an unbelieving whatever uh, friend or relative or something, and saying, "Well, you know, that person doesn't hate the Lord." Well, this hatred takes place in how willing are we to be ruled by his kingship? Are we willing? And the, what the Bible talk is, talks about is we are unwilling. That's where this hatred comes in. We are all unwilling to have him rule over us until he changes our hearts. So we were all part of this. This is what Paul says this repeatedly, that we were all part of that. We would rather be a king unto ourselves. We would rather do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, where we want to do it, than submit, an ugly word in today's world, submit to his kingship, to his lordship. But the reality is, is those who love the Lord will submit to his lordship. And again this is a continual process where it doesn't automatically happen once for all in an instantaneous moment. This is a this is a way of life that as time goes by we more and more submit ourselves to him. This, when we read the scriptures, what we recognize is that the Lord Jesus left and came to this far country to receive this kingdom and receive a people. But when he came to his people, his own did not recognize him. His own rejected him. So that means, and, and in a large way, yes, that's the Jews as we're reading. But if, if, if throughout the Old Testament, as well as in the New, there's this thing about Jews and Gentiles. It's not just the Jews who rejected him, though that's a primary thing here in the new testament we all reject him he came to his own and we did not recognize him john 19 14 through 16 says now it was the day of preparation of the passover and it was about the sixth hour he said to the jews behold your king they cried out away with him away with him crucify him pilate said to them shall i crucify your king the chief priests answered we have no king but caesar So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Our Lord is rejected by many. So the king has delegated to his uh, servants the responsibility of stewardship for the gospel, and he has been rejected by many. Then we see that the king settles accounts. So first thing we're going to see is investing for the kingdom growth, that, that piece. Then we'll look at the next step. So verse 15 says, When he returned... Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minnas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made five minnas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. So these Good investors were rewarded beyond belief. They take care of three months' wages. They each have grown it, one 1,000% growth, the other 500% growth. And their reply was very humble, where they said, Lord, your minna has made 10 more. They didn't say, I did this. They said, your minna has grown. I think that's, that piece is interesting. And in turn, because of their good stewardship, they were each given ten. They were one was given ten cities, one was given five cities. But their cities were not their greatest reward. Uh, I'll I'll butcher this name, but Helmut Thielich, probably a German Protestant theologian who died in nineteen eighty six. He said this: He said, "The splendor of the cities committed to them will be far less important than the fact that now they are the viceroy's of the Lord." and therefore among those closest to him, and thus will always have access to him and be able to speak to him and tarry in his presence at all times. The reward is that in the end, the Lord will receive them with honors. They will be privileged to speak and to live with Jesus forever. That's their greatest reward, not the ten cities. The reward of Christ's faithful servants will be reigning with him as co-regents and confidants. Their eternal reward will be given more responsibility, not necessarily just rest, as we sometimes think. They will be working with Christ. So, are you investing in the gospel, or are you hoarding it? Next, we're going to look at hoarding out of fear. Verse 20 says, Then another came to him, saying, Lord, here is your minnow, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. This unfaithful servant made no investment at all. He hoarded the gospel. He kept the gospel to himself. He kept that minna to himself. He wanted to keep it safe. He held tightly to it. He had a wrong view of God as well. He was slanderous and false. He said that the master was a severe master, one who was demanding to the point that he was expecting blood out of a turnip kind of thing. Now, he may have had fear of not getting a return on that investment, or maybe he was afraid that he would lose part of the principal if he were to try to invest it. He may have been also afraid that he would not personally gain anything out of this, and all the reward would go to the master. It seems that he was paralyzed in doing anything constructive because of this potential negative. He was focused on the negative. He was focused on what if I lose or what if he gains and I do not. He was concentrating on the lack and not the supply. He was not, he was not, he was not concentrating on the abundance of God's mercy. This is the story of one who slanders God by holding what Christ has given him preserved in a safe, private place. This is the Christian who says, yes, I can go to church some. Maybe send my kids to Sunday school. I might even have a church wedding. I can take a Christian moral view on most things. But I'm not going to be considered one of those Jesus freaks. Like some I know. I talk about my faith openly or live it out to where others can easily recognize which team I'm on. They want to hoard the gospel for fear of what others might think of them. 24 says, And he said to those who stood by, Take the minute from him and give it to the one who has the ten minutes. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minutes. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. <clears throat> this person may be saved but his works will be burned. This is, a, this is, this is talking about when Christ returns. He's, he's given us this example that he goes to this far country to receive the kingdom. And then when he returns, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a settling of accounts. And so when he returns, there will be this judgment seat of Christ and our works will be on trial. 1 Corinthians three fifteen. 15. Paul says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself be saved, but only as through fire. The question for us, are you investing in the gospel, or are you hoarding it? This is not a question of giftedness. This is a question of faithfulness. How are you using your time? How do you use your resources? How do you use your money? What does your calendar look like when we talk about how to you use your time? Are you involved in kingdom work where you have the opportunity to receive and then give yourself away by serving others. Would your calendar show that? Out of the given hours in a week, how many hours might your calendar reflect that? How are you investing in the kingdom? You get tied up with the tyranny of the urgent. There's there's something that always has to happen. And sometimes those things that are most important get set away. Look at your calendar and ask yourself, am I investing in the kingdom or am I this gospel for myself. How do you use your money? If you looked at your bank account, where you see all your money going, how do you use your money? Do you look for ways to invest in the kingdom that may cause you to live sacrificially? Is there any difference between the way you live and the rest of the world because of your generosity of investment in the gospel? Is there ever a time when there's an opportunity to take up something, go somewhere, buy something, and you say, No, I can't do that. What you really know is no I can't do that because of the way I've managed money because I've given more money away, and I don't have money for this pleasure in my life. Does that describe you? Or are you able to say, Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I can buy that. Yes, if my eyes lay if, if my eyes are pleased with what I see and I could afford it, I buy it. Maybe that describes us. I think this is a neat little lesson for us. All this good feel good stuff that Jesus talks about in these lessons, and here we are preparing for Christmas. I don't know about you, but typically at Christmas time, we we deal with stuff, not stuff I need. If I needed it, I've already bought it. These are things that it's all most, most of the stuff we do with Christmas gifts and what have you. we, We as Christians have bought into the secular version of Christmas and there's all this superfluous stuff. It has nothing to do with real needs. Sometimes it really expresses our hearts, but sometimes it's just more stuff. Before we get more stuff... Or give more stuff. Maybe we need to say, how are we investing in the kingdom? For kingdom investments, this is not a passive game. Not a passive act. In t- it takes intentionality. Even to the level of your words. How do your words invest the gospel? Do your words invest the gospel or do your words hoard the gospel? Are you able and willing to talk about what Jesus has done for you with others? Are you willing to do that? Will you take risks in our politically correct society to tell of that faith that you have in you? Jesus the Son of God came to earth to receive the kingdom. He has ascended to the Father's side and he delegated the stewardship of his gospel to his people. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. For those who have invested the gospel, they will receive great rewards, rewards beyond their imagination. For those who have hidden the treasure, shame. For those who reject him, death and destruction. As we're on the eve of Advent, Advent, we're, we're considering his initial coming, but then we're also thinking of his return. So we're anticipating his second coming. As we're anticipating his second coming, when the Lord returns, how will he find, you, how will he find that you have invested in the gospel? Will he find that you've invested in the gospel, or will he find that you have hoarded it for yourself? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.